want you to take your Bibles as we get started and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And before we get into our first passage of tonight, I, I want to set up our week in this room. Because there's a lot of things to be excited about. We've got games again. We've got teams again. Somebody's going to win that gorgeous golden trophy again. Uh, we've got all sorts of fun that we're going to have. We've got pizza stump again. We, we've got all this time that we're going to have together. But the most important thing that we do, every camp will happen in this room as we open up God's word. And that has nothing to do with me. That has nothing to do with our other speakers. That has everything to do with the nature of this book and what this book is. And just as a reminder for you, I want us to look again at 2 Timothy 3, 16. The word of God reads, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That is, as we approach this book, it is not just a book. It is the word of the very God of the universe. That the one who rules this universe, we do not have to guess what he's like. We don't have to hypothesize about what he might want for us. He has revealed truth to us, and in these pages, really, he has revealed himself. These are the very words of God. And so why do I tell you that? Well, I tell you that because a lot of you have grown up in the church. And so I would encourage you to resist the temptation to come into this time thinking, well, this is the sermon time again where I hear just from this book I know, but to remember afresh that you are having a personal meeting with the God of the universe as he speaks to you through his word. Or maybe perhaps you're here this week and this is your first time ever coming to anything like this. Maybe you're newer to church. Maybe you started going to the youth group that invited you a a few weeks ago. We want you to know that we as Christians, we do not think that this is just a book of religious teachings. This is the God of the universe speaking to you. And that truth gives me great confidence this week. It gives me confidence understanding why each one of you is here. Now, the preaching might not be the reason you signed up. It might be the games or the fun or the bus ride, the food. One of those things could have been the reason. But I know that the, the divine reason you're here, that God's sovereign purpose is that you are here to hear from him this week. That you might encounter him through his word. And so with that, I just want to pray now that our hearts would be focused, that we put aside all distraction that upperclassmen would warn peers and underclassmen that this is the time to focus and that we would lock in on God's word and not just treat it like another book because we know it's much more than another book. So let me pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Lord, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. Thank you that as we read these words, we hear from you. Lord, we need truth and we need to see you. And so we ask that you help us to see your glory this week. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's look at our passage tonight. Psalm 90. Psalm 90. You can flip right to the middle of your Bible to the Psalms. 
And then flip over to Psalm 90. And that'll be our passage as we have this opening sermon that'll help us set up camp. Psalm 90. The Word of God reads, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities ever before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the very word of God. This week, I want to talk to you about death. I want to talk to you about death. That great, unconquerable foe. Through science, We have found ways to cure so many diseases. We have technology that doctors today, or that doctors 50 years ago, wish that they had. There are no problems that we cannot solve. Literally, some of you who were five years ago now realize that your 5G is better on your phone. We have all sorts of problems we face that we can solve as a nation, and yet we cannot seem to defeat death. So this week, I want to talk to you about death. And to be more specific than that, I don't want to just talk about death philosophically. I don't want to just talk about 
death uh, as a cycle that happens. I want to talk to you about your death. The inevitable reality that one day, should the Lord tarry, each one of us is going to die. And that is a reality that this week, I want us to learn to lean into, to learn to embrace, to be aware of death. Moses says in Psalm 90 verse 12, this is our theme verse for the week, so teach us to number our days. That is to have an awareness that we do not live forever. But there is a limit to the amount of mornings we will rise and evenings we will go to bed. We do not have an infinite number of those. Now, why? Why do we need to be reminded of that? Why do we need to be aware of that? Why do we need to be taught to number our days? Here's why. Because everything in our society tries to hide the reality of death. Death is something we don't like to think about. Death is something that we like to think about out there or in the future. There are numbers on the TV screen, but it's not going to really invade my life anytime soon. And part of the reason that death is so foreign to us is modern medicine. Life expectancy has doubled in the last 100 years. One historian puts it like this, Death dwelt within the family. It happened within the walls of every home. It happened to your grandparents, your dad, your little brother, your new bride, your child. Birth used to be dangerous for both mom and child. Now, death is typically only for those who are older. And whenever death happens to someone who's young, we are surprised, we are shocked. And it usually happens in hospice care at a hospital. There are places where people are supposed to die. Even with churches, you realize that older churches that they used to have graveyards in the front yard of the church. It was so much a normal part of life and life in the, the community of believers. But now we have put death off to the side. Even the way that we talk about death is different. By my house where my wife and I live, there is a perfect example of this. On, on two different corners, there are two different uh, burial sites. One of them is like an old Catholic graveyard, and it says mortuary. Another one is a newer, uh, sort of uh, all-religions-welcome graveyard, and it's called a memorial park. We've changed the way that we talk about death. So nowadays, funerals, we, we talk about directors. We don't talk about morticians or undertakers. We like to say that they've perished, or their certificate says they've expired. We, we don't say things like, they died. We, we've concealed the language around death. We have memorial, memorials and services. We don't have funerals. This is a, a scheme in some sense in our country. It's to hide the reality of death, to hide the obvious that a funeral is the death of a person. Why? It's because we don't like to think about death. I, I even know especially who I'm talking to now, that teenagers really do not think about the fact that one day they'll pass away. 
Right? It's, it's, not, it's something that seems so foreign to you. And so teenagers, there's usually two different things that are used. You're either desensitized to it or you're distracted by it. By desensitized, I mean you've seen so many different deaths in TV shows. Some of your favorite characters have died. So many characters in video games have died. Death is just not a big deal. It's a, it's a silly thing that even happens sometimes. Or we're distracted by it. We don't want to think about it. Uh, when the preacher at Regen starts talking about death, that's you know, the first time I've seen people leave this room at camp, is as soon as I said, let's talk about death. Why? Because all of you want to get away from it. It's not something that you really want to think about. Well, I just want to let you know, distraction is not a new technique to avoid thinking about death. It's, it's not a, a new pattern. 17th century thinker Blaise Pascal, who you'll hear about later this week, writes this, he says, As men have not been able to cure death, misery, and ignorance, they have taken to not thinking about them so as to become happy. Let me block out this idea that at some point I'm going to pass away so that I can maintain happiness. Pascal has an illustration like this. He says, We run heedlessly into the abyss after putting something in front of us to stop us from seeing it. It's as if in modern translation to say that we know we're driving off the cliff. We know there is a cliff. There's an end to this road. So let me put up a billboard so I don't have to look at it before I go over. We distract ourselves from the reality of death. And yet deep down we know the truth. We know that no amount of distraction can hide the obvious. That outside of the return of Christ coming back to take back all those who belong to him, each one of us will one day die. Student, I just would ask you, how often do you consider the reality of your own inevitable death? How often do you own the fact that you will one day die. Tonight's message is a little different. It's a setup for camp. And so I have three points. I'm not so much going to break down a passage for us as I want to set up a theme that you're going to follow uh, throughout the rest of the sermons. I have three points for us. And really, kind of each point is one, uh, one part of a sentence. So at the end, you'll see that these three points kind of form a sentence together. But I want you to consider this reality, the brevity of life tonight, as we think about these three points. Here's the first thing you can write this down in your notes. It's this, your death is certain. If you want to personalize that, you could even write, my death is certain. This psalm begins with Moses expressing his trust and delight in Israel's security in God. What does he say? Verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. He is from everlasting to everlasting. God, we have been secure in you. You always exist. But as for man, verse 3, you return man to dust. And say, return, O children of man. In the psalm, Moses spends most of his time focusing on the temporal nature of life. The life of every person that we eventually all return to dust. You know, if you notice that this upcoming reality of death comes often quickly and with ease. So verse 5, 
you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades away. Some of you understand that illustration. You understand that at your own house, if you've gone a few days, especially in the summer, without watering your lawn, how quickly brown spots pop up. How quickly the grass dies. Or maybe on Mother's Day, you've gone out to buy your mom some really nice flowers. You give them to her on Sunday morning, and you see just how quickly by Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for sure they die. What Moses is saying is man is like that. It happens quickly and relatively easily. Look again at verse 9. All our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. It's like a, like a breath. Like the, the smoke coming off of a, a candle that's just been extinguished. It's there and it's gone. Fades away. The, re, the years of our life, verse 10, are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble, and they are soon gone and we fly away. We've seen people in their 70s and 80s who are in shape. When I used to go to the gym, back when people were allowed to do that in California, uh, there was, I always was like, I don't want to get shown up by the old man. Some of you have seen this guy at the gym. He's the seven-year-old who's just still got it. There's just something humbling when you're just like barely getting up and he's doing twice your weight and just cranking. You're like, man, that old man's got it. And we all know seven-year-olds that have got it. We know people in their 80s that have got it. They've got it intellectually. They've got personal skills. They've got it, but here's the reality we've seen. No matter how much strength they have, all eventually die. There are no real survivor stories. All fade away. And so friends, the same is true for us. All of us one day are going to end up either in a box or in a jar or in a hole in the ground, but we all go eventually. Let me uh, develop this theme further. Take your Bible and let's go to Ecclesiastes 1. Ecclesiastes 1. Austin is going to look more at this this important book later this week. Ecclesiastes, a few books to your right. But I, I want to, again, just continue to develop the reality that the Bible is saying again and again the certainty of our death. Ecclesiastes is a book written by Solomon. Uh, he was the wisest man. You know this. God gave him, him wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he writes with that wisdom about life, what life is like for everybody. And he uses a word that will be unpacked more. It's this word, verse 2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Some of you are familiar with this. That's a, that's a Hebrew word. It's hevel. It's, it means breath. It's breathy. And what Solomon is saying is life is breath-like. Now, what does that mean? More to come. But one thing we know about breath, it vanishes quickly. It's here, and then it's not. Again, it's, it's like when you're out, uh, outside on a cold morning, and you breathe out, you see that breath that comes out and then disappears 
right away. This is what James says in James 4, 13 and 14. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That was James 4, 13 and 14. How about Psalm 144, 4? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. The reality is clear. We die. And here in Ecclesiastes, in this intro paragraph, we learn about what the breathiness, the brevity is like. So let's read this with me. Verse 4. It says, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and it goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuit the wind returns. All the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there, is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after what is this passage saying? What, what do we do with this? Is this weather description? Is that what Solomon's trying to explain here? That's not at all. What he's trying to explain is, that, is the cycle of life for every single person, believer or unbeliever, and it's this cycle of life and death. It is a cycle that does not change. Look at verse 4. Again, a generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Friends, we've seen this played out. A person is born, and then they become a small child, and they become a teenager, and then a young adult, and then married, and then a parent, and eventually a grandparent, and they die. And in the midst of that, they have kids who start as babies, and become small children, and then teenagers, and then young adults, married, parent, maybe grandparent, die. And around and around it goes. Young generation, middle generation, older generation, and every single day you see more fading out, more coming in, and the cycle goes on and on. Eventually all die. And he compares it to a cycles that we see in nature. So every day the sun comes up, the sun goes down, and it comes back up again where it started. And every day we see water, wind go around and around and follow the same pattern that it goes. And in verse 7 it says, you see waters go down rivers, go to the ocean, the ocean never fills up, the streams never fill up, and it just goes and goes and goes. And in the same way that those cycles don't change, you can't break the cycle of death. A generation comes, a generation goes, but the earth remains forever. Death happens to all. You cannot break this cycle. 
it must press on. Now think about that, because that's weighty. Because in one sense, it, it, it continues on. In another sense, we see that we can't interrupt it. Think about that. When I think about this, I think of the weightiness in terms of Christmas. I love Christmas. Many of you, you love Christmas. And part of the reason you love Christmas is family. And I just know a highlight for me for years and years, it was Christmas Eve at Grandma Sherry's. Some of you have a grandma like this. You get in the car every Christmas Eve. You drive over to her house. She's got the same food every year. It's the same schedule every year. Visit with relatives. Eat the food. Play some games. Open presents. Older siblings stay up with dad while mom and younger siblings fall asleep on the car ride home. And thus it repeats. And it's warm and it's awesome and it's great. And it has an expiration date. Because children get older and grandparents pass away. And even now, some of you know that some of the fondest memories of your childhood, you cannot revisit and cannot recreate. Because the cycle goes on. Death and time slowly steal everything out of this world. Take a look at verse 9. What has been is what will be done. And what has been done is what sorry, what has been is what will be done. What has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Again, this, this repeated cycle of what's going to happen. Look at verse eleven. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those whom come after. Here's the point. You ready, student? Here's the point that Solomon is making there in verse eleven. You will live. And you will die. And at some point, no one is going to remember you. You will fade away. Your closest friends will pass away and lose the memory of you. Your kids will remember you. Your grandkids will remember you. Maybe even your great-grandkids might remember you. But further on it goes, you become nothing more than a name on a family tree they found on Ancestry.com. That is your legacy. You will fade away. Or said more strongly, you will live, you will die, and the earth will continue on just as it always has. Your death will bring no interruption to the way this world works. That's the certainty of death that's coming, friends. So take your Bibles and go back to Psalm 90 where we'll finish up our last two points. The question is, what do we do with this? How do we think about this? And one of the options, again, that we've discussed is this. You could ignore it. You could just flat out say, who cares? I'll think about that later. Statistically, I'm not supposed to die. Some of you in here, even tonight, as you're thinking about this week, like, that's something far away. I'm young. I'm in shape. I survived the Rona. I'm never going to die. And the Bible says you are a fool if that's you. The Bible says you are a fool if you don't realize that you have no idea how much time you have left. And in fact, you've bought into a lie. What is the lie that you've bought into? That's the very first lie that's told in the Bible. You ready? 
you shall surely not die. Very first lie we read in the Bible in Genesis 3, and you live like you believe that lie every single day. So that's one way you could respond to that. You could foolishly think that you will last forever. Or you could own the certainty of your death and do what Moses prays that we would do. That we would be, 90 verse 12, taught to number our days. That we'd own the brevity of our own life. That every day we realize you're closer to you, your last. That every ambulance we hear, we go, that's going to be me one day. That's what Moses is pointing us towards. Do not ignore. Number your days knowing that death is certain. Let's look at point number two. And like I said, it builds, it builds on a sentence. So it would go like this. Your death is certain. Point number two, our God is eternal. Our God is eternal. We simultaneously in Psalm 90 have Moses looking at our impending death, but also looking at the character of God and how he is not like us, particularly that he is eternal, that he is infinite, that he is everlasting. Now, before you just think, well, that's another attributes of God. Yes, God is love. He is omniscient. He is eternal. Before you start going that route, own the weight of this and feel how unlike us God is. How great this makes him. So verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That is everlasting in both directions. From eternity past, as far back as you could go, God has existed and he has existed as God. And as far forward as you go in the future, God will always exist. He does not fade away. His strength is not 70 or 80 years. He does not return to the dust. He does not develop and then grow old. He is God and that is amazing. Verse 4, he transcends time. Right? Some of you, the bus ride, it was only 14 hours. You felt like it was 17 months. You thought it was forever. But what does it say in verse 4? For a thousand years in your sight are what? Are but as yesterday when it's past. He's so much bigger than time that a thousand years are just like, well, that was yesterday. Or they're like a watch in the night. They're not even the full night. They're, they're just like a time slot that a, that a guard would keep watch in the night. He's so much bigger than time and unaffected by time. While our time is quickly pouring down the hourglass, he is not running out. Oh no, friends, he has always existed. And he always will exist. And part of that has to do with the nature of who he is. So we see in verse 13 that Moses uses a name. It says, return, O Lord. And if you've been part of our youth group at Grace, you know that word Lord that's all caps. Some of you that are new, look at that there. You see how it's all caps, O-R-Ds and lower caps. Uh, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's God's name. It is, a, it is a word that has to do with existence. 
That is in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses says, what is your name? God says, I am who I am. And then he says, I am. And then he says, Yahweh, which is a derivative of I am. In other words, it's a, it's a name that has to do with his self-existence. And it has to do with his eternality. Who is Yahweh? Who is God? Well, he just is. He always is. He always will be who he is. He's never not been who he is. So think about change in our life. Think about a, a baby who you know, can't even have fine motor skills, a toddler who wobbles around, to a child who's slightly more athletic, to a student, college student, and then all of a sudden you see as the athleticism goes up, then it starts to tail off. Well, it's not like that with God. He always is who he is. So he's never been in a stage of becoming a better version of himself. And he's never been in a stage where he has to look back and say, I'm just not working the way I used to. He's totally unaffected by time. Because he is the God who is. And he is the God who is eternal. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? I mean, let me just ask you a question. What, you know, if we have camp next year, Lord willing, that's what we've learned from last year. We just say Lord willing with everything. If we have camp regen 2022, what do you think I will be like next year? You know, maybe I come back shredded. You know, maybe I come back a little, uh, a little heftier. You know, we just had a baby. People are like, is the baby gaining weight? I'm like, yes, and I am too. And uh, it's, it's all going well. Maybe I'll come up here. Maybe I'll be healthy. Maybe I'll be sick. I don't even know if I'll be alive. What about you? What will you be like a year from now? Okay, will, will you, some of you might be taller. Some of you might be friendlier. Others meaner. Some might walk away. Some might get saved. Right? We have no idea where you're going to be a year from now. You don't know what I'm going to be like a year from now. I don't know what you're going to be like a year from now. But I know that a year from now, in 10 years from now, in 10 million years from now, God will be God. Because he's everlasting. And he is who he is. And friends, that is good to know. It is good to know that this God will always be who he is. Student, I just encourage you, if you're new this week and you're learning about who God is, take the time to read the Bible, not just to read what God did and what he was like then. The Bible tells us who he is and what he's like now. Maybe even during devotionals, find a time to meet with somebody that could explain to you and show you God's word so you could see what God is like. That's, that's our God. And it is good to know that he is eternal. Let's wrap this up. Point number three. What have we seen? Let's fill out our sentence. Sentence is this. is Your death is certain. Our God is eternal. And number three. And this is good news. This is good news. It is good for you to know that your death is certain and God is eternal. Right? It is good for you. This, there are benefits to this. That if you believe this and own this, know about yourself and trust who God is, there are benefits in the way it will uh, flesh out in your life. 
Now, what I want to just do very quickly is skim the surface on four of those benefits, four reasons why this is good news for you to believe that you will die and that God is everlasting. And as I look at these four, maybe tonight in small groups, you can just go through these four and just ask, are these true in my life? Do I see these benefits uh, playing out in the way that I live from day to day? So four benefits of knowing you're going to die and God is eternal. Here they are. Number one, first benefit, wisdom. Wisdom. Verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is skillful living. It's not just knowledge, not just someone who's book smart. It's not just someone who could find the length of a hypotenuse and knows all the layers of the ocean. It's someone who understand how, understands how life works. It's someone who knows how to navigate life skillfully. Wisdom doesn't just choose between right and wrong. Wisdom, wisdom understands good and better. And numbering our days helps us live skillfully. Because it forces us to embrace our limits and to prioritize the urgent. Numbering our days, realizing we don't have an infinite number of these days, helps us understand the good things to say yes to and the bad things to say no to. Numbering our days helps us think wisely about things like college and a job and a spouse and video games and the kinds of friends we have and what we do with our Sunday mornings. The fact that life is short means that our decisions matter because you don't know when the next decision you make is going to be your last one. So you number your day so that decision is made wisely. A keen awareness of the shortness of your life sharpens your focus. Friend, I just ask you, are you walking wisely? Do you have a life that's marked by wisdom? If you're not, maybe you can chalk it up to, oh, I'm just a teenager. I'm just not mature yet. Maybe that's true. But it's probably because you're not numbering your days. That your foolishness, your half-hearted Christianity, your self-centered religiosity is rooted in that you actually think you're going to live forever. So your actions are stupid because your thinking is stupid. But if we number our days, we walk wisely. Here's the second benefit. Satisfaction. Satisfaction. In the midst of this prayer, Moses prays for satisfaction. Now, I'm, we're going to have more on this later. I'm going to tread lightly here. But here's what I want you to notice. The limit of man and the infinitude of God does not remove any hope for joy. Right? Part of the sermon could be like, we're all going to die. Who cares? Life is meaningless. But we will never be happy. But what does Moses pray? Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. And so, to, so instead of our limits in God's eternality ruining our joy, it actually becomes potentially the basis for our joy. More on that later. Here's the question. Are you satisfied in life? Do you have fulfilling joy? And if not, it could very well be it's because you think you're going to live forever. And you're not numbering your days. Third benefit. 
Significance. Significance. What sort of lasting significance could we have if we're all going to die, right? I mean, all awards and trophies I get will rust. All friendships will dissolve. All of my accomplishments will be forgotten. How then does anything matter? And I would say you're absolutely right. You, as a temporary person, can do nothing that matters for eternity. You can do nothing eternally significant unless, unless there is an eternal God who makes the temporary eternally significant. Verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Friends, fellow mortals, the only hope for something that truly matters is for an eternal God who deems that it matters. And you can live a life that's significant as long as it's this eternal God that deems it significant. And there's a lot of way to figure that out. There's a lot of way to figure out the things that he does deem eternally significant. You could start by reading this book to find those things. But I just ask you, are you investing your life in things that matter for eternity? Because if not, it's probably because you think you're going to live forever. And you're not numbering your days. Fourth benefit. Again, this is good news if we embrace these facts. Uh, We've learned this. It it gives us wisdom. It gives us satisfaction. It gives us significant. Fourth benefit. Hope. Hope. In one sense, death is very much a doom and gloom message. What hope do we have of anything that matters? Why post online? Why play a video game? Why make friends? Why work hard at anything? I'm going to lose it all one day anyway. Because our hope is in a God who does not fade away. Verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Lord, you have been our refuge, our fortress, our place of security. There is no security in me. I am going to die. But I can have hope and confidence and joy and purpose as I look to the future, as I put all my hope in the one who is not affected by time. And so this week, what you'll see is that your only hope in the face of death is not to look inward and try harder. It is to look upward and see the God who is not affected by death, who triumphs over death, and who who has given life, eternal life, to all who believe in Him. And we'll talk about that more as this week goes on. Young person, do not look away from death. This week, I want you to study death. I want you to stare at death. Not just at death theoretically. I want you to think about your own death. To embrace it and to own it. Because when you realize that one day you will die, well then, you can truly 
begin to live. So student, this week, learn to number your days. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, two years ago, we, we probably assumed that we would be at camp every year. This past year has taught us that nothing is for certain. Even two years later, there are people who are here who won't, weren't here two years ago and people who aren't here who were, who were here two years ago. Lord, it is a gift for us to be here this week. Lord, we just understand as we look at this passage, our fragility. And we can have no confidence of lasting in ourselves. And God, it is so good to get our eyes off us and to look at you. To see that you are the God who is eternal. And so Lord, this week we pray that you would help us to number our days. We pray that you would help us to walk wisely and find real satisfaction and significance and hope. Not in this world, not in ourselves, but in you. We pray all these things for your glory. Amen.